Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining Carrie Aller and Friends Coffee Chat. I'm so excited. Today I have my sweet friend Shannon on the show. Hey Shannon. Hey Carrie, thanks so much for having me on. Well, thank you so much for joining. I'm so excited to hear what you have to say today. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea of just a coffee chat. I like that there's there was no pressure for me to like prepare a speech or anything before it. That we could just be a, an organic conversation. So That's right. Thanks again. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm so excited. And, you know, I just really love your heart for people. And you talk about um, some taboo topics that people don't really elaborate enough on, I don't feel. Um, But I would love for you to kind of just share a little bit about yourself with everyone. And um, we'll kind of go from there. All right. Well, taboo topics is kind of my speciality. Um, I am considered the sex lady. Um, I started speaking um, to high school students, junior high students, um, way back in the 90s, and then it evolved into college students, and then later adults, and now I do workshops and speak and coach and um, write to to women of all ages, and not just women, couples as well, but um, yeah, I my three passions, the things that I write most about and speak most about, are sexual integrity, sexual intimacy in marriage, and spiritual intimacy with Christ. So if you boil that down, it's basically, um, I love sexuality and spirituality and the connection between the two, and I love teaching people how to not look for love in all the wrong places and how to find it in the right place through an intimate relationship with God and through a passionate relationship with their husband. I love that so much. And, you know, Shannon, honestly, I feel like a lot of people within the church, we aren't really talking about sex. We aren't talking about those things that are, um, I guess, uncomfortable for us to talk about. And why do you think that is? I think that we're a product of our environment. I think that because the church and our homes of origin were relatively silent on this topic, that we have a tendency to assume that there's this big taboo. Um, and I have been trying religiously to break that taboo over the past 25 years, I find that when I go into a church and I speak about things like uh, G-spots or orgasm or, um, you know, or masturbation or, um, you know, affairs or whatever, like there's always this initial deer in the headlights look, but within (laughs) the first two minutes, it kind of gradually fades away. And then it's like, Hey, we can talk about this, and we're better to talk about it than inside the church because who is the author of sexuality? It's God. And if, if Christians don't have a right to talk openly and honestly about healthy sexuality, who in the world does? And so I love how when I leave the church, uh, there are much more wide-open lines of communication between the members and, and with the leadership and the, you know, with the folks in the congregation as well, and hopefully between parents and children and spouses. That's, that's the overall goal is to get uh, families and couples talking more openly about their wants and needs and desires from sexuality. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I've had friends that, you know, they chose to not have sex before marriage. And then when they went on their honeymoon, um, they were scared <laughs> to even have sex. Like, ha- have you heard of that, too? Oh, I've heard of people not even being able to consummate their marriage for months after their honeymoon. And my philosophy is, is that, okay, wait a minute, press the pause button. When we have held, quote, virginity, close quote, in such high regard that couples can't even relax and enjoy healthy sex 
in the ordained time that God established, there's something wrong, that we've kind of made an idol out of that whole purity concept. In fact, I've been a part of um, a new podcast this past year called Touch Podcast, and it's really all about reclaiming healthy sexuality from this whole purity movement because we kind of went to the movement that went too far, that when women feel shame over even having a sexual thought or desire, there's something wrong. Um, when men are feel shamed for just wanting to be more intimate with their wives, there is something wrong. And so um, the generation that are that currently in their 20s, 30s, early 40s, I am seeing more and more of those couples that they're not acting out sexually. They are shut down sexually. They, they literally are just like frozen and they don't know how to thaw out. And so I help women and men get on the same page sexually where that frozenness is no longer an issue. Yeah, I, I love that. And, you know, self-image and body image is really kind of a part of that too. I think a lot of people um, struggle with allowing their mates to, you know, see them because they struggle with how they look. What would you address to those people? Yeah, that's the number one reason that women say that they don't enjoy sex is because they feel as if their husbands are surely comparing them to all those porn stars and supermodels that they've been looking at. But the reality is, is that's actually not true. They're not as into comparisons as we assume they are. Um, they're just freaked out by the fact that there's a naked woman in the room who's willing to share her body with him. He really doesn't care about the cellulite ripples or the stretch marks or the saggy <laughs> boobs or the pregnant bellies or the flat chest or, you know, any of those things. He just wants to be close and um, intimate with his wife. And if his wife isn't available or interested in that, you can imagine how overwhelmingly frustrating that can be for him. So I have often said to women from stage, we have to take a lesson from men. We never hear of a man cowering in the corner in a fuzzy robe saying, she can't find me sexy with this eating <laughs> hairline and this beer belly. She can't. It's like, no, men are just like, bring it on, baby. They don't really care what they look like. Well, women really need to embrace that same attitude because sexy is not about size or shape. I've known women who are a size 22 who are sexier than the size two women because of their attitude. That It's all about how we feel about ourselves. It's how confident we are. And that's why one of my books that I wrote uh, is called The Sexually Confident Wife, about learning to connect with your husband, mind, body, heart, and soul with no guilt, no shame, and no inhibition. I love that. I love that. And Shannon, what would you say too? like, what is the difference with intimacy for men and women? What is the difference? Well, I think that women um, definitely have emotional needs that have a tendency to need to be met first, and then they're inspired to be physical. With men, it's kind of the reverse. If you get physical with your husband, he will open up a lot more readily emotionally uh, afterward. And so it's a matter of we're just wired differently to you know take one step at a time, and women want to take the emo- women want to take the emotional step first, and then the physical step, and men have a tendency to just work the other way around. What I tell couples is it doesn't have to be either or. It can be both and. It can be a constant ebb and flow back and forth between the emotional and the physical, but somebody has to start first. Like this is like a Mexican standoff so many times where he refuses to really talk to her much because he just feels so sex starved and she refuses to have sex with him because um, she just feels as if he doesn't show any interest in who she really is. And it can just be this incredibly vicious cycle 
But a vicious cycle can be reversed, and it can create, you, you can create an upward spiral where it's, he's just showering her with attention and affection, and she is just so eager to, to touch and connect with him physically because she feels so loved and cherished. And isn't that what we all envisioned when we signed up for this marriage thing, is that we were, would both get our needs met deeply and passionately and, and that we would be happy. But we go awry when we start expecting that he should have to meet my needs first, and then I'll give him sex. And that sometimes it just it works better the other way around on occasion. Oh, yeah. And, okay, so I've heard this a lot too, Shannon. Like, from a lot of moms, you know, they'll say, you know, I want to be intimate with my husband, but I've just had a really long day. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I've been at work. I had to come home and do dishes and laundry and all these things. And I just don't have the energy. What would you say to those women? I would say that you are most likely looking at sex through the lens of it's work instead of play, that it's a marital duty instead of your marital delight. Because if you had that long, hard day, and then I said to you, how about a massage or how about a hot, relaxing bath or how about watching one of your favorite television programs? You'd be totally down for that. So understanding that sex is really a great opportunity for stress relief for ourselves and to experience pleasure and connectedness. And it releases oxytocin and all kinds of endorphins in the brain that really help you. It's like nature's Valium. You know, it really helps you calm down and sleep much better at night. And so why would you turn that down? Um, but again, so many women just have been told and taught by um, church and culture and their parents that, you know, the sex is a woman's marital duty. One woman even told me that her mother sat her down before her wedding and said, your husband's going to want to do things to you tomorrow night after the wedding, and you may as well just give in because it's better than being homeless. <laughs> like, <laughs> what kind of pet talk is that? Oh, my. <laughs> So women are just really good at turning a blessing into a burden in their minds and missing out on all the fun and frivolity and adventure and play and satisfaction that sex can actually bring. Yeah. And, okay, so here's another thing, Shannon. I'm just going to throw all kinds of things at you because I know you can handle it. You're awesome. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, okay, I've heard this too. If he doesn't, then I won't. Like, if he doesn't fulfill this need of mine, then I'm not going to fulfill that need of his. What would you say to those oh, women? Oh, sure. Oh, that, that's exactly the problem. Is that you thinking that he has to meet your needs first uh, before you give him what he wants? It, it is going to create that vicious cycle. And oftentimes women don't even recognize when their husbands really are trying. Um, So many times the problem really is that she is just not giving him credit where credit is due. Or she thinks, well, he won't do it consistently. Or it's like, you know what? But if if he's even trying the least little bit, I think that it's really important for a woman to reciprocate and try to meet his needs as well. Um, Because, yeah, women can really work themselves into their own state of frigidity. I explained that oxytocin can create an upward or a downward spiral. The less we are touched, the less we want to be touched. But the more we touch, the more we want to be touched. So sometimes when a woman says, I just can't stand the thought of my husband touching my body, I'll ask her, how long has it been since since that's happened? And oftentimes it will have been a really long time. And she will have, you know, it's probably because she's been, quote, punishing him for not doing what she expects him to do or whatever. But the reality is, is that she's wanting it less and less. And this is her own battle inside her own head. But if she will just stop playing tit for tat and he has to do this before I'll do that and just sit next to him on the couch and, and put his hand on your thigh and just 
get shoulder to shoulder with him or put his arm around you and, and like snuggle up and remember what joyful bliss it was when we were dating and we were in newlyweds to just even be in the same room and to be able to touch each other. Try to conjure up some of that type of oxytocin flow and you will be surprised at how much your sexual libido can return in full force. Oh yeah, for sure. Cause you know, when you're dating, you're like all over each other. You just want to just be close to them yeah. and, and we kind of get lazy, I think. Don't you think? Well, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's really well said, Carrie. I love how you just don't cut me. <laughs> you're not cutting people's slack right now either. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's totally true. We do. We get lazy or in all honesty, we think that sex is work because, oh, well, he'll expect me to do this and it takes such a long time and I'll have to be on top and I don't have the energy. And The reality is, is that women really stink at asking for what they want. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you feel as if you're doing all the work, if you feel as if it just takes too long, chances are it's probably because he senses that you're just not into it. Because my experience has been in marriage is that when you are into it, it really doesn't take that long, and the energy that you're exerting does not feel like it's this negative thing. It, it can be as blissful as riding a bicycle or, or swimming in a swimming pool. It's like you're exerting energy, but you're loving every minute of it, and you're totally engaged, and it's refreshing and re-energizing. That's what I want to help couples experience in their marriage bed. Oh, yeah. And so, Shannon, I know you do lots of speaking, lots of encouragement through your um, books and everything like that. Like, what is something that women, what's a common thing, I guess, other than the things we've talked about that women have come to you and said, you know what, this is hard, or, you know, these are the struggles I'm having. Like, what is a common thing that you hear a lot? Well, over the past 25 years of all the speaking and writing and coaching that I have done, what I have come to realize is that female sexuality is like a pendulum swing. There are seasons of our life where we feel tempted to act out sexually and do things that we never thought that we would do. Um, maybe that's connecting online in a chat room, or maybe that's flirting with an office coworker, or maybe that's having a full-blown affair, or maybe it's getting addicted to porn ourselves or something like that. And then there are other seasons where the pendulum swings hard the other direction. I say to the left is acting out and to the right is shutting down where women just feel as a, nope, not interested, don't don't enjoy it, don't want it, please don't make me, and just start looking for all kinds of excuses not to have to have sex. Um, and so what I've done, Carrie, is several years ago, I started doing four-day intensive workshops for women who were either acting out or shutting down sexually. It didn't matter which direction the pendulum was going. And the goal of these four-day intensive workshops, they're called Women at the Well workshops, the goal of Women at the Well is to help them find a middle balance, a healthy balance, where they're interested in motivated sex partners once again, but only with their husbands, not somebody else. And so we have done 35 of these workshops over the past six or seven years. And after every workshop, I wind up getting flowers and cards and candy from husbands saying, I don't know what you did with the woman that I sent you, but I'm keeping the woman that you sent back. She <laughs> is my dream lover. And, and I, I love how um, I heard Tony Robbins say this one time, and I was like, oh, that's never been more true, is that when the little girl feels heard, the grown woman will show up. Mm-hmm. And as I walk women through the four-day process of understanding how her childhood wounds have impacted her sexual desire in this era of her life, It is amazing how she can shed shame. She can 
heal old wounds. She can develop confidence that she's never had. She can put boundaries around her sexual energies and harness that and channel it exclusively toward her husband. Like women are capable of so much sexually and they have no idea what their bodies are capable of doing, what their heart is capable of feeling. Um, In fact, one of the most interesting little tidbits that I've ever come across that always is a surprise to women is that according to Jewish tradition, it's the woman's right in the marriage to be sexually satisfied, and if not, she has the right to divorce. Now, I'm, I always say I'm not prescribing divorce. I'm only describing a law that was in existence you know, long ago. How did we go from it's a woman's marital right to be sexually satisfied in Judaism to Christianity where we go, oh, well, it's my marital duty. I just have to, I guess I have to grin and bear it. It's my cross to bear. <laughs> it's like, mm, we have really lost sight of the gift that God has given us in sex. And so oftentimes they assume that, well, that's just something I do for my husband. He could, he seems to get something out of it, but I don't. Well, then you're not doing it right. And you haven't taught him what it is that you need. And so oftentimes women don't even know what they need because they really haven't experimented or explored enough, either solo or with him, to discover those hot spots and how good they feel and how much satisfaction it can bring. So my challenge to women is always, uh, you know, turn this into a laboratory experiment and see just how far you can push your own envelope. How close to the edge of excitement and adventure are you willing to push yourself such that you can discover how God made the female body especially to experience even far more pleasure than the male body. We have twice as many nerve endings in our clitoris as he does in his penis. We have three times more ways to experience orgasm than he does. He only has one, and women have three. And men have a refractory period where they have to wait between orgasms. Women do not have that. We can have one orgasm after another after another until we wear ourselves out. And so it's obvious that the female body is the one that has been designed to be more sexually responsive. But women have got to learn to, again, shed the shame and heal the old wounds and really um, understand what they're missing out on when they choose to just sit on the sidelines and not have fun. Yeah, and the old wounds thing that you're addressing, you know, I, I know a lot of women that they take their past, you know, whether they... Um, you know, had a previous partner or whatever, and they try to attach that or, you know, different things, or they're not healed from those old wounds. Um, so I love that you address that. What would you say to parents about addressing this issue? I have a soon teenager and I, you know, I've already had the talk with both of my children. Um, what would you say to parents right now about talking about sexuality and and sex and things? Well, first I would say that it's not a one-time conversation by any stretch of the imagination. It's an ongoing series of conversations at every turn because they're going to have a lot of questions. And if they don't see that you're an askable parent because you're actually the one bringing it up, they're probably not going to bring it up. And that's what happened. So many people say, I'm still waiting for the sex talk for my parents. I'm 50 years old. Um, So you have to be the one to initiate it. Your kids are most likely not going to be the ones. And when you do... They probably will roll their eyes and groan and, uh, you know, just act uncomfortable. But you have to push through that discomfort before they are ever going to settle into any conversation with you. Yeah. And even if you think they're not listening, I promise you, their radar is absorbing everything. But if you wait until they're like 13, 14 years old, 
you may as well be asking them questions because I assure you their peers and the internet have already given them quite the education. Um, so yeah, be proactive. Let them know that they can ask you anything and they can use whatever words they need to use to ask it and that no topic is off limits. No matter what they hear out there in the world, in the media, whatever, you are always willing to dialogue with them about it and never shut those conversations down and give them the impression that there's anything shameful about simply talking about it. Yeah, so true. I, I think that, you know, line of communication between your children and, and the parents, you know, is so important, so crucial, especially um, in today's age, um, which is different things that we have, you know, that we have to deal with. So, you know, Shannon, another thing I know many have talked about is how do we keep the marriage bed pure? There's so many things in the world that um, you know, attaches itself to sex and people want to keep the marriage bed pure and, and honorable to God as they enjoy each other. So what would you say to those people? I would say um, it's certainly, you know, biblical standard and a, and a wonderful goal, but sometimes people can take that word pure in directions that I don't think that God ever intended. They can get re- really legalistic with it. Like, for example, I've heard women say, well, I refuse to wear lingerie because that's what they do in porn. Or I refuse to, like, have oral sex because that's what they do in porn. And it's like, yeah, but they also kiss and hold hands in porn. Like, stop thinking that just because something has happened in pornography means that it shouldn't happen in your marriage bed because you can't let the world rob you and steal all the fun and frivolity and adventure and play that sex is intended to be. And so I just tell women, you know what? Just stop having porn be your reference point as to what you're comparing your own personal sex life to. No, you don't look like the people in the movies, most likely. No, you may not uh, enjoy the same things that you've seen in porn, but it's just not a good benchmark to compare it to. I often tell women, just if you want to really cleanse your palate and make sure that the passions that you're feeling within your marriage bed are pure, then read Song of Solomon. And for people who are like, well, I don't want to do oral sex because that's, that's what they do in porn, I just quote to them directly from Song of Solomon. I delight to sit in my lover's shade. His fruit is sweet to my taste. Come blow on my garden that its fragrance may spread abroad. Biblical scholars will, will back up that these are references to genitalia and oral stimulation of genitalia. So this is a very basic, uh, you know, these are very basic concepts that we have just let the world rob from us or deceive us into thinking that that wouldn't be pure. And another thing is women often think that I can't even entertain a sexual thought because that would produce a feeling and that would produce a temptation. And the Bible says that if you even look upon a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart and have totally taken that scripture out of context. And I unpack that extensively in my book, The Fantasy Fallacy. But what I say to women is you have to remember Jesus himself had sexual thoughts and feelings. It says in the Bible he was tempted in every way but was without sin. So how do you how are you tempted without having a single thought or feeling? So we have to understand that the thoughts and the feelings are not sin. So you can think about whatever you want to think about to get you in the mood to to you know engage the brain because it's the pituitary gland that sends a signal to your body to send blood flow to either your clitoris if you're female or to your penis if you're male. And without that blood flow, you're really not going to get aroused. So women who are laying there on the bed thinking, 
well, he doesn't really turn me on. And you're just staring at the wall thinking what color you want to paint the bedroom or the PTA <laughs> agenda, you know, for the next meeting or whatever. Like, you need to realize that you're working against yourself by not letting your brain get in gear. Because especially for women, orgasm is 95% mental. And if you're not willing to do the mental work of getting your head in the game and thinking sexy thoughts, then he may as well just be pressing an elevator button for all he cares. Like, it's, <laughs> it's not going to produce arousal and engorgement and pleasure and orgasm if your head's not in the game. Yeah. I, I just love, like, your heart, Shannon, because, you, you know, there are not, I mean, I, when I say this, there are not that many people that will openly talk about this, especially um, Christian people um, that openly talk about this. And it is a need, and it is something that a lot of people just, unfortunately, they don't talk about. Um, but I, I also want to ask you this, Shannon, pornography, I know is a huge issue. Um, I know many people that have struggled with that addiction. Uh, there's been people that, you know, marriages are torn apart because of that. Um, what, what is your thoughts on pornography? Well, there are all kinds of filtering software out there. If you need external motivation to keep you from going in that direction, but I would just say, you know what, I think that as a society, we have to cut ourselves just a little bit of slack because I think that the real reason that people look to porn is because their family and their school and their church has so let them down when it comes to good, healthy sex education. And they're just curious. By nature, human beings are wildly curious, and we want to know what's possible. And if we don't have a partner who's willing to experiment and explore in those fun directions to discover what's possible, I think those are the individuals that feel driven toward the porn to just learn what they can. But then, of course, they find, they discover once they're there that, wow, this is really addicting. It doesn't take nearly as much effort to just close the door and look at this and get myself off instead of expecting to try to warm up my spouse and, you know, all the foreplay that's involved and all that. But I, I just... I mean, it's not that I think that masturbation is unhealthy. I actually encourage couples to include masturbation as a part of their marriage, as a part of their lifestyle, because, again, keeping that oxytocin flowing is very important, and especially for a husband and wife who have to spend a lot of time apart, I think it's good preventative medicine to keep them from acting out with someone else, just knowing that they have the freedom to satisfy themselves. But understand that masturbation and pornography do not have to be linked to one another. And pornography was only invented in 1952 when Playboy was released. What did people do for the hundreds and thousands of years before that? And so, um, you know, understanding that getting off of the porn and cleansing your palate and adjusting your expectations and connecting with a real life human being that can actually give you two-way satisfaction, I think is much more healthier than just resorting to the solo thing, especially if you are finding yourself getting lazy and not wanting to put in the effort of connecting with your spouse, then I would say that the porn and the masturbation is, is really, you know, become a big stumbling block for you in your life. When sex is no longer appealing because you'd rather have sex by yourself, then that's a problem. Right. Right. I agree with that too. Um, Shannon, can you tell us, I know you've elaborated a little bit on your books and stuff. Can you tell everyone about the books you've written, the wonderful books you've written? And also, um, I know you also talked about women of the well or at the well, excuse me. Um, can you tell them how they can find that? And you also have a wonderful blast program and just different things that you're doing. I would love to tell you more about that. 
Thank you for asking. Um, yeah, the first series that I wrote was the Every Woman's Battle series about sexual integrity, and it was alongside Steve Arterburn and Fred Stoker's Every Man's Battle series. Um, so yeah, that, it's been several years since we released it, but it's published in 30 different languages, and it sold over 3 million copies. So it was really cool to be a part of such a big cultural um, you know, tidal wave of healthy information but uh, if women are tempted to act out sexually um, or if they just want good tools to put in their daughter's hands, um, every woman's battle is written for adult women, every young woman's battle for junior high, high school, and early college age. And then there's preparing your daughter for every woman's battle um, for parents to read with their 8- to 12-year-old daughters. And there's male corollaries for the sons and, and dads, too. And then I wrote... Um, a, a series of books called Completely His about embracing your role as the bride of Christ and looking for love in the right places, whether you're married or single. And then after that was The Sexually Confident Wife, followed by The Fantasy Fallacy and The Passion Principles. And um, so those are all about understanding how the sexual brain works, understanding where our sexual fantasies and thoughts come from, why certain things arouse us and other things do not, um, how to celebrate freedom in the marriage bed, and I also have a couple of fiction novels because um, I know that some people just won't read self-help books. And so I thought, well, creating some really intriguing characters and a great plot to bring these concepts to life could be a fun thing, too. So I wrote To Know You and Veil of Secrets with the help of a professional fiction writer. So 22 books in all, Carrie. Um, awesome. <laughs> I love yeah, that. Yeah, I, I was crazy about one after another for a long season, but... Then I started traveling and speaking a lot more, and so if people want to have me come to their church and speak to their women's group or um, a marriage ministry event or whatever, I'm totally down for that. Um, or they can come to me for the four-day Women at the Well workshop. They can find out more at shannonethridge.com by clicking on the workshops tab, um, and we have several coming up. Uh, we have one in Texas next month in March. We have one in Lexington, Kentucky. Um in May, uh, and then we'll be setting some more dates for the fall soon. And then, yeah, you mentioned the BLAST program. Uh, I've been doing this for about 10 years because everywhere I travel and speak, women would approach me and say, uh, how can I do what you do? And they weren't talking about being the sex lady. They were talking <laughs> about just using your story and your experience to really inspire people. And so I created the BLAST program, which stands for Building Leaders, Authors, Speakers, and Teachers. And um, it's a 12-lesson online program where it teaches you how to build a ministry platform or a speaking platform from the ground up. So we cover um, you know, trying to get a book published and trying to put yourself out there as a speaker, how to develop an online platform with like a podcast like you're doing or blog or whatever, um, and help people discern what God is calling them to write or speak about. They say that 83% of people feel as if they have a book in them, but less than 1% ever sit down to write anything. So I just really want to inspire more people to share their stories with the world because I think it's the power of hearing other people's stories that really inspire change. Well, and, you know, I love your heart with that, Shannon, because I, I can see, you know, that you are willing and you want to help people grow in their giftings and the things that God's put in them to share. And I just love your heart and wanting to, you know, help them because not a lot of people do that, unfortunately, but I feel like as the body of Christ, we should help each other, you know? Yeah. I feel like God gave me such unique experiences that I was 
a published author by the time I was 35, a million copy best-selling author by the time I was 40. And then just with all the traveling around the world and speaking that I've done, it's like, okay, God, why did you entrust this level of success to me that I have the opportunity to shape culture like I do? And I sense God saying one day, it's because you're such an exhibitionist. I knew you wouldn't be able to keep any of this to yourself. Just keep <laughs> teaching other people how to hear my voice and how to discern their calling and how to overcome their fears of putting themselves out there and how to really connect with people and minister to them on deep, deep levels about these, even about these taboo topics like we're discussing today. And then I also just want to say again that if people just want a free resource, there's actually a couple of things I would recommend. Um, first, the Touch Podcast that I mentioned earlier, if they just go to touchpodcast.com, there are several episodes in the can uh, that they can listen to. Also, I was co-host of Sexy Marriage Radio for many years. They can go to sexymarriageradio.com and listen to four and a half years worth of archives where Dr. Corey Allen and I talk openly and honestly about all things sexual. And then if people would like to sign up for my newsletter at shannonethridge.com, we send out intimately speaking devotionals three times a week to just inspire women in their pursuit of sexual integrity, sexual intimacy in marriage, and spiritual intimacy with Christ. I love it so much. Shannon, you've been such a joy just to have on the show today. And I thank you again for your transparency. I thank you um, just for listening to the Lord and, and allowing Him to use you in such a mighty way to help people talk about those taboo topics that are really um, hard to talk about sometimes, to be honest. So I just appreciate you so much. Well, it's people like you that give me opportunities to get those messages out there. So I just thank you for being willing to put your neck on the chopping block along with mine. And uh, <laughs> I, I know that your listeners will totally appreciate your courage uh, and your bravery. I have often said that the definition of a trailblazer is the one who has all the arrows in their back. But I'm praying that your listeners will totally get that there's no arrows necessary. These conversations are long overdue. And the more we talk about it, the more we can normalize it because it is time for us to claim a healthier sense of sexuality and have more satisfying uh, sex within our marriage relationships. So I've often said to women that um, if you become a more sexually confident wife, you're going to have a stronger marriage. And a stronger marriage makes for a stronger family. And stronger families make for stronger communities. And stronger communities make for a stronger society. So just think of it as your contribution to society to become a more sexually confident wife. Amen. <laughs> Amen, sister. Well, I thank you so much again. And again, if you want to uh, book Shannon for a speaking engagement at your church or for your conference, I know she would love to do that. And please check out her books. Her books are amazing, and I know they will bless you. And again, you can check her out at shannonetheridge.com. And again, thank you, Shannon, and God bless you. Thank you, Carrie. God bless you too, girlfriend. Keep up the God work. Thank you. <laughs> Bye.